23 minutes it is after 8 p.m. It's the Shop Stewards Corner here on Metro FM Talk, uh, a segment we bring to you every Monday where we take a look at uh, what's happening in the lives of working people, what's happening on the shop floor, and uh, more importantly, some of the uh, developments that have an impact on the lives of working people. Now, one of these uh, involves uh, the gazetting on Friday of the Employment Equity Amendment Bill, and uh, which effectively gives uh, power and authority to uh, the Minister of Employment and Labour uh, to uh, set sectoral employment equity targets uh, for employers across the economy. And uh, companies who fail to do this uh, will face uh, punitive measures of between 1% to 10% of their turnover and uh, uh, will also be disqualified from doing business with the government. There's also an obligation uh, to uh, have a Section 53 compliance certificate in order to uh, access opportunities uh, uh, in public procurement. But we also understand it has something for the smaller businesses in our economy. And I'm joined on the line to tell us all about this by the Chief Director of uh, Labor Relations at the Department of Employment and Labor, and that is Tembing Wasim Kalipi. Metro FM Talk, and thank you very much for joining us. Good evening, Sebonga. Good evening, Nakuba, and to your listeners. Let's maybe start off here. I mean, uh, I guess a lot of people have uh, made quite a bit uh, of the sectoral targets, which effectively give uh, the Minister of Employment and Labour the authority to uh, set uh, employment equity targets um, in key industries. And I guess uh, he would do this considering other mechanisms that we've had in place for the last 25 years, uh, more notably some of the sector charters. Uh, How does that injunction, uh, I guess, uh, reconcile with some of the uh, um, strides, if any, that have been made by some of the charters in the different sectors of our economy? And uh, will some consideration be given to some of those as well? Exactly. We are using all the charters and the PPP, QPP, scorecard, and all of that as a base in our discussion with the sector. Because we, we don't want to create uh, confusion and duplication on these issues. Uh, if there is a charter in the mining sector that talks to equity. We look at that and we want to make it enforceable. Remember, charters mm. are really not uh, enforceable documents. They're not legal instruments. They are party instruments the sectors agreed on. Now, by taking those targets that are set in the charter and making them the targets for the sector after consultation, then you are able then to enforce them. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, I mean, I guess the, this also comes uh, on the back of some of your own despondency as uh, uh, the uh, minister ministry charged with uh, oversight of uh, uh, employment equity here at uh, the slow pace of transformation. I mean, for, for our regulations to reach a point where this kind of authority now is vested in the minister, must I guess speak of uh, the lack of confidence at this point one might feel in some of the industries and in some of the uh, sectors that should have been uh, I guess, leading the charge here? There's no doubt that um, uh, self-regulation in this area has not worked. For the last 20 years, I mean, we all hope when employment equity was introduced that um, uh, all companies will embrace it and uh, accept that uh, employment equity does make uh, uh, business sense. I mean, but there's also no doubt that, I mean, as a department also, we must take the blame. Our enforcement is not what has been what it should be. But uh, if employment equity makes business sense, then you don't need enforcement. And, and therefore, it's clear this is an indication that we've failed uh, and employers have failed to embrace employment equity. We hope then now, by being able to set up the targets and implementing 
Section 53 to make it sure that if you're not um, implementing those targets, then uh, you're mm-hmm. not going to be able to do business with government. Yeah, yeah. The last time you and I spoke, I think it was sometime last year, on this uh, platform as well, we were talking about uh, some of the issues around Section 27. And uh, I'd be interested to find out from you if the same kind of ministerial authority to um, set sectoral targets is also something that uh, would apply uh, to the norms, benchmarks, and everything else outlined in Section 27, which deals primarily with this challenge of wage inequality and income differentials within firms. No, the the the, the law at this stage we have not made those decisions. That decision mm. is going to be up to the 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 national minimum minimum wage commission, which is required to advise the ministers they think is needed on whether the minister should be setting up uh, targets in this area. Uh, we will see uh, as we go along on this whether they will take that route. But these targets are only purely on transformation, not on mm. the issues mm. of equal pay for equal, equal work on that. That will yeah. wait for the commission to do its job. Okay. Talk to me briefly about Section 53. Um, and I guess, you know, what implications that is going to have for non-compliant uh, 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 employers and uh, I guess their ability to uh, do or undertake any work uh, on behalf of the state. Well, Section 53 is an old provision in the law. It has been there since the inception of Employment Equity Act. But the problem is that it has never been promulgated. Precisely, we are battling with this issue of what is real compliance? When you say to a person that you are not going to do business with government, is compliance reporting? I mean, the annual reporting that the company does. Mm. What is it? And we think now, now that we've got the target setting, that the minister will be able to set up target. When a target is set for the sector, remember, you set a target for the mining sector. The companies within the mining sector, Sebani and them, will have to indicate how they are going to reach that target, and the minister mm. will set up. Mm a three- or five-year target and say in this sector would want senior management to be 30%, 40%, whatever the target is. And then each company will indicate how they are going to reach that over the next three years. If they say in the first year we are going to be 20% of that target and they don't meet that target that they set themselves, then they have not complied with the law. And that section 53 kicks in unless they can show that they are justifiable citizens. Companies, I mean, you never know, companies who might in two years' time have uh, uh, another corona continuing. Companies then can say, because of the lockdowns that have taken place, the economy not growing, we've not been able to meet our targets that have been set. Therefore, those are the justifiable reasons that we're putting on. Because any regulation that you put in, you've got to be able to look whether are there justifiable reasons for uh, society or companies not to be able to comply mm. and consider those. Yeah. I mean, for, for some of the people who are listening to our conversation, uh, because some of them might think, you know, we're only referring to private sector companies and we unfairly targeting them um, because, you know, they would be familiar with uh, the uneven performance and compliance. Um, and I must say, even disappointing track record of some of our SOEs in also meeting their own employment equity obligations. Well, what's your view on, uh, I guess, the ability of this amendment bill to also respond and be able to, uh, um, in effect, also hold them to account? This bill will affect all companies that employ 
more than 50 employees, including therefore SOE. There's no exception on this. But there is no doubt, I mean, if you look objectively on the performance of the government sector and the private sector, the government sector is doing, is doing very well on transformation. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, no, the no, yes, the departments are doing well, but but I'm saying the SOEs, the, uh, you know, the, some the of the SOEs, state-owned entities. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yes. the, the SOEs mm. are letting, if, if you divide that government into uh, actual government, uh, initial government, provincial government, mm. and, and the SOEs, the also SOEs are not doing as much as government are doing in yes. terms of the transformation. And they will be affected also with this. But it's obvious with them, they... they, 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 they the stick is not going to be doing business with government because they don't do business mm. with government. It's going to be prosecution if they don't they don't comply. And the the, the issue of the, the, the uh, 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 putting it out in the public arena, which also also sees are not as always are not doing their part in this, and putting pressure on those ministers that are in charge in those SOCs to ensure mm. that uh, the SOCs are doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, the other thing, uh, uh, Mr. Mkalipi, that uh, many people have complained about um, is, you know, they felt that employment equity obligations were very onerous on the part of small businesses uh, who are unable to, um, you know, meet uh, the obligations of compliance and everything else that came with it. Um, it seems in a way this amendment bill has responded to that criticism and uh, has tried uh, somewhat to uh, uh, redefine what a designated employer who is expected to comply uh, is and what that looks like. And maybe if you could just briefly talk us through how those amendments might have an impact, if any, on small businesses. Exactly. I mean, we've looked at this and the bill proposes that all businesses that employ less than 50 people, they, they don't need to report. Uh, if they want to do business with, with government, they can get a certificate. And the certificate asks them just three questions. Um, uh, do they comply with the national minimum wage? If the answer is yes, they tick. Uh, mm. Do they have any case at the CCMA or the Labor Court on unfair uh, discrimination? If they say no, that's fine. And, uh, <clears throat> and, 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 and those are the two questions, not three, even two question. If they answer yes and no on those questions, then they'll get certificates for them to be able to do business with government. They don't mm-hmm. need to, to submit a report to all the, 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 the staff that companies that employ more than 50 electors. So we think this is a big, 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 big change that has been introduced so that companies, that small companies who want to uh, apply for tenders, they yes, don't yes. come and uh, and are not able to do this because they have not reported and all of the issues that are put uh, in front of them. And we think yeah. this is this will be good for business. Clegas, thank you very much for your time. As always, a pleasure catching up with you. And uh, 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 I certainly hope that uh, as this goes to Parliament, and maybe before I let you go, I mean, some, some of our listeners might be interested in, in what, what are the next steps here? Because it, it seems that this now has gone through uh, some of your own internal processes as a, as a department. The next step is Parliament. What happens thereafter? Well, the next step is Parliament. When Parliament completes its work, then the President signs into law. We show that Parliament is going to publish it for public comment and have its own processes, giving people opportunity to uh, uh, interact with the bill. And and we know, I mean, the other issue that we need to raise, I mean, there's been already, already people that are threatening by going to the Constitutional Court with, we're ready for that. 
and we don't think it's a wrong thing, it's part of our democracy, and we would want confirmation also from the highest court, and the sooner people do that, the better for us. Mm. Okay. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. There was uh, the Chief Director for Labor Relations at the Department of Employment and Labor, Tim Kalipi, speaking to us this evening for our Shop Stewards Corner. And I think if, if, if we think about what Mr. Mkalipi is saying and what's in uh, this um, uh, Employment Equity Amendment Bill, it uh, does make the um, case of the uh, tourism sector quite interesting because I guess the expectation there on the part of the Ministry of Tourism was that if you're going to get some support, income relief or anything else from the government, you should at least comply with employment equity if you have to. And uh, uh, the case that was made in many corners was that uh, this effectively excluded white SMMEs who might, you know, that mom and pop shop uh, that might not, uh, you know, have any need to transform because they don't do any business with the government. Well, that mom and pop shop uh, that employs 15 or 20 people doesn't need to comply with employment equity. Only the big guys who employ more than 50 people who are medium-sized or the massive players, those are the guys that had to complain. And it makes you wonder who was really building this case um, that said, you know, this is, uh, I mean, akin to, uh, I guess, uh, something that is going to collapse the entire economy, this uh, uh, insistence that you want transformation at all costs when all jobs matter and they should be on the line. Well, it's clear that uh, I guess uh, some of those who are making the noise are the larger firms and uh, uh, just judging by their complaints, uh, they continue to be untransformed and uh, that certainly is a situation that cannot be allowed to continue. Uh, that being said, we're going to take a break now and uh, when we come back, uh, we uh, take a look at uh, something else that we think should not continue and that is the wanton and uh, um, really greedy fleecing of the public purse at a moment we're, be, we're being told left, right and centre, we are in a tight fiscal environment. Uh, we've just heard now from the Treasury uh, that uh, we've borrowed 70 billion rand uh, from uh, the uh, International Monetary Fund. So, and yet, some among us, uh, I guess, seem to continue to try and find ways uh, to uh, do some very interesting things with the fiscus. And uh, I mustn't call those interesting, but uh, uh, clearly corrupt things. And I don't say this just in the context of the allegations um, of impropriety relating to Kusalatiko and her husband and uh, to the MEC, uh, Dr. Bandile Masuku, but to everywhere across our state, every nook and cranny, every supply chain unit at local government, at district level government, everywhere else where we know uh, um, just as a manifestation of this corruption, there are horrible and disappointing and disastrous service delivery outcomes. That's what I'm talking about. And uh, all of the processes must follow, and I think no better time uh, for the injunction that the president made last week that the SIU intervene than now. Let's intervene. and many others. This is the moment for the SIU to take us into its confidence and give some direction around how some of these issues are going to be dealt with. Take a break now. When we come back, we're under the microscope with Kwezi Mabasa. He's a senior researcher in political economy at Mapungubwe Institute for Strategic Reflection. And we talk to him about what all of this means, all of this uh, 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 corruption and allegations of impropriety in this era of COVID-19.